0: privilege of taking us into God's Word today. Um, Is that echoing a little? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Try moving over here. I don't know. Anyways, all right. So today we're going to be in James 3, 1 through 12. Uh, If you want to start turning there in your Bible, it's going to be toward the end there, right after Hebrews. Um, As you're going there, I'm going to read a few quotes and we're going to play a little game. So I'm going to start reading the quote. If you know who said it, just yell it out. But you got it. <laughs> I just heard the Sunday school answer over there, Jesus, that was great. Well, we're done, so yeah, all right. Um, no, so if you know it, yell it out. I'm not gonna respond to anybody mumbling, so if you mumble, I'm just gonna keep reading over you. All right, and so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do, f- okay, there we go. All right, another one here. I have a dream that one, uh, yeah, that one was easy, right? That was like, I tried to find ones where like the key phrase is further in, that didn't work. Next one's gonna ruin it too. Four score and seven years ago. Uh, Yeah, I know, all right. All right, here's the last one. General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace. All right, nicely done. Okay, that was really good. all right, so, so the reason I did that, it, right, is these quotes are kind of ingrained in our memories, right? When, when we hear them, when we see them written down, we, we hear the inflections, right? We know the voice. We, we know the context of those quotes. Um, and, and they just kind of stick with us throughout the years. Um, there's a, a quote I'm sure everybody's familiar with, the pen is mightier than the sword. Now, my kind of counter to that is always, well, you, the pen kind of needs the sword unless, you're Jason Bourne, in which case you can use a pen, but um, but the point is that words stir up people to action. You know, they kind of light a fire. They they encourage the sword, right? Um, and so every every great revolution that has ever happened, there's always been great speakers behind them. You know, there's Marx and Lenin um, behind communism. There's Rousseau and Robespierre behind the French Revolution. There's the founding fathers were all prolific writers and speakers and great orators. Um, and then even more practical for us here today, think about the words that Jesus spoke you know, 2,000 years ago that are still changing the face of the world. Um, think about how many times have you come to church and like in the morning, you know, you're kind of like, I don't know if I want to go today, just not really feeling it. You get here and then you sing something like, oh man, I'm alive, I'm alive because he lives, right? And then all of a sudden your heart is just so open to hearing God's word. Those words changed your heart in that moment. Um, Our words have an influence over our thinking, over our behavior, over our worldview. They have way more power than a lot of people give them credit for. And we're gonna see that today in in James. He's gonna talk about that. So let's let's go to his word. He says in James 3, one through 12, I'll try to not breathe into the mic here as I do that. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Father, we thank you for this time this morning to go into your word and to see this just very practical wisdom that James has for us today. God, I pray that um, these words would stir up our hearts to, to look at our words, God, that um, we would be purposeful with the words we speak, that we would speak words of blessing and encouragement, God, and that we would not pour forth salt, salty water when people are longing for fresh. God, we just Thank you for this time to be together this morning and pray that you are glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. So notice the theme through there. James is is just over and over again giving us how impactful our words can be. He's giving us these contrasts the whole way through, showing how this small part of our our body can can really drive our entire self. it's almost, it almost sounds like hyperbole as he's giving these, these kind of um, comparisons. But it's true, right? And we've all seen it in our lives, how words can affect us. Um, a quick note as we go into this. Um, James is really specifically talking about speaking. But I think, um, especially in our day, a lot of our communication is done over email. It's done on Facebook. It's done through texting. And what he's talking about here is speech as an outpouring of the heart. And so we're, as we look through this, keep that in mind, too, that, that we're really talking about that speech as an outpouring of the heart. And it shows up in our words. And it shows up in our emails. It shows up in our texts. It shows up in all of that form of communication. So let's look at that first example there. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, a lot of you probably heard that and said, OK, I won't become a teacher. right?" Just easy answer. Let's move on. Um, but, but there's a couple things to take away from that. Um, the first thing is, it's not, he's not trying to discourage people from becoming teachers. He's trying to show that it's not something to take lightly. The Bible is full of encouragement to learn and to grow and to teach others. The Great Commission calls us to do that. We are, we are called to take God's word out into the world. And so it's not, he's not saying, don't ever become teachers. He's saying, if you're going to do it, Make sure you know what you're doing. He's saying, don't take God's word lightly. Um, You don't get to phone it in. It's kind of like becoming a parent, right? You know, it's a blessing to become a parent, to have children, but it's not something you take lightly. Raising a child is not something that you just phone in. You don't just kind of have a kid and go, all right, have fun, and uh, see you in 18 years, hope you're doing all right. You know, you're purposeful in it. You're studying, you're watching your children's behavior, and you're trying to mold and shape and guide. And it's the same thing um, with God's word. You know, we're we're trying to, our words given to our kids are going to have impact for years to come. And the words that we give to others are also going to have impact for years to come. And so we want to be purposeful with that. The other thing to take away from this is to pray for those who do teach the word. who who go up front, pray for me and Derek and Paul. Pray for the other pastors around town. Um, I mean, selfishly, I covet your prayers. We do a a little prayer time at the beginning, and then we also have another prayer time for whoever's teaching that day, and um, it's just, it's a blessing. So please keep me in your prayers. Keep teachers in your prayers. Um, Moving on to verse 2, he says, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says... He is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. And so now James is expanding his audience. He talked about teachers specifically there. And now he's he's kind of applying this to everyone now. Um, He's expanding that audience. Um, When he says, um, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. Um, When you read that word perfect, he's not saying, sinless. He's not saying that you've got absolutely everything already figured out in this world. He's using this, world, this word teleos, which is where we get the word telescope from. Derek did a little example of that a while back, but it's, it's a great example. It's, when you have a telescope, when is it most useful? It's not when it's compacted, right? It's, it's when it's fully extended. It's the word mature. So when that telescope is fully mature, that is when that telescope has the most use, right? And it's the same for us. When we are matured, we can be used for God. Um, if you are, are living your life with that telescope kind of compacted, if you're not spending time in God's word, if you're not growing, if you're not in prayer, you're not seeking God's will for your life, you're that telescope that's not, not being used quite right, um, can you do something good? Maybe, a little but you're not going to have much impact. But when you're seeking God and seeking his will and you're in his word, that telescope extends, it matures out and you can be impactful for God's kingdom. That's what he's saying there. So, if you are matured, and another word for that is or another phrase is if Jesus is lord of your life and you're living that way, you can be impactful for the kingdom. And if you're able to do that, if you are able to have Jesus as Lord of your tongue, it says that you're able to bridle the whole body. Now, that seems like kind of a leap to go from from just talking about the tongue to talking about the whole body. But in Mark 15, Jesus is confronted by the Pharisees and the Pharisees um, ask him, why do you why do your disciples not wash their hands before they eat? And they weren't talking about, like, they've been out and digging in the dirt, and so they got to wash their hands so they they don't catch some weird disease or something. It's not like you telling your kids when they come inside to wash their hands. This was a ceremonial cleaning of the hands in case they had come into contact with a Gentile throughout the day, or even something that a Gentile was in contact with. It was a, a prideful thing. And Jesus responds to them, saying, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. And then a few verses later, his disciples asked him to explain this. They didn't quite get it. And Jesus says in verses 17 to 20, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, Sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander, these are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. So that first point in the handout today is the way that you speak and the words you use are a window into your heart. And that is why James gives so much weight to the tongue, because what comes out is just an outpouring of what's within you. And so if what's coming out is trash, what's in your heart? Trash. <laughs> yeah. If what's coming out of your mouth is, are words that encourage and words that lead people to God, then you know where your heart is. That's why, why James is giving such an emphasis on the tongue here. Verses three through five, James says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses, horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member Yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. You'll notice through these verses that there are a lot of contrasts that James gives. So here he gives the contrast of the bit in a horse's mouth. This thousand pound animal is controlled by this bit in its mouth. And we can tame this. I, I've, seen, I've seen a video of a horse jump roping. Like We can do stuff like this with this small little implement. Um, And then he goes on to talk about the ships. There's the the next contrast. We've got this big, multi-ton, big chunk of wood going through the sea, driven by these strong winds. And it's steered around by this tiny little rudder on the back of it. You can, with this huge ship and these strong winds, you can direct this ship into the rocks, or you can direct it into clear waters to sail just by this small little rudder. And then he gives the next um, contrast. He, He gives the large forest fire, and it started by what? It started by this little tiny fire, right? You've never seen a fire that just started huge. Fires don't start huge. They start as this little tiny thing and just go completely out of control. And James tells us that our tongue is that fire. Our tongue is that small fire that just bursts out of control, and he builds on that in the next couple verses. Um, He says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. And then again, you see the contrast. The small tongue and the world of unrighteousness. The small tongue stains the whole body. The small tongue sets on fire the entire course of life. He's just building on these as he goes. And if you look at it, if you look at, um, through Paul's letters in, in the New Testament, he, he lists, um, what is it? thirty? I have it written down, 32 specific sins that he, he specifically mentions these. And of these sins, seven of them require the use of a tongue. That's boasting, that's reviling, that's gossip, stuff like that. Then there's 13 others that either will use the tongue or eventually will manifest themselves as spoken words. These are things like jealousy, hatred, ungratefulness, and malice. That's over half the sins that Paul lists are going to manifest themselves in your words. And that, that, that is that example of the fire that can be caused by it. And, and we know that very well in this area, right? In 2013, we had, we had the Rim Fire here, right? Just, just blanketed our valley in smoke for, for several days. And that was started by a hunter who had an illegal campfire in a little valley in Yosemite. And you can just imagine that guy as this fire starts climbing up the hill, right? this fire that you knew you were not allowed to have out here, starts climbing up the hill and there's nothing he can do about it. That is what this is talking about. Our words are that fire. They get out and you can't get them back. And that is the next point in your handout. Our words start fires that cannot be contained. And there are two points in history I can think of that really, really magnified this point. There's the Gutenberg Press, which started the uh, Reformation, or at least was a major tool used in the Reformation. And then there's the internet today and social media. You think about that. It used to be that your words would go out and they'd start a fire here and start spreading. With social media, your words go out and they start a fire somewhere over there. and they start a fire somewhere over there. And they just go out of control. And there's no getting them back. You can't even take the post down, because most likely somebody's taken a screenshot of it already to share it after you delete it, so. Um, In the last part of that verse, he talks about, James talks about the tongue being set on fire by hell. That word that he uses for hell is Gehenna, which um, the Jewish people knew very well. Back in the day, before before Jesus came, um, the Israelites were sacrificing their children to a false god called Molech in this valley called Gehenna. Um, It actually became known as Gehenna later on, but um, they were sacrificing their children in this valley to a false god. And God brought the Babylonians in as punishment for that. And the Jews were in exile for 70 years. And then they returned 70 years later And in 2 Kings 2310, it tells us that um, the Valley of Gehenna was considered so defiled at that point because of what the Israelites had done there that they just completely left it and it turned into a big burning trash heap. That is literally what it was. It was this big, huge burning trash heap, just putrid smoke lifting off of this thing at all times of the day. That was all it was considered good for, and that is what he compares our tongue to when it is set on fire by hell. He is saying that Satan wants to use our words. Satan is pleased to watch it burn and spread. He, he wants to see those, those words come out, that small little flame come out, and he starts blowing oxygen on it. He starts adding fuel to it. He feeds it. He builds on it. At the beginning, I had had a few inspiring quotes, right? You know, we love hearing MLK, and we love hearing JFK, and we love hearing these quotes. But, but words have also been used to do a lot of evil as well. Here's an example of a speech given in Wilhelm Schaffen on April 1st of 1939. You'll probably be able to guess who this is, too, pretty quick. Only when the Jewish bacillus infecting the life of peoples has been removed can one hope to establish a cooperation amongst the nations which shall be built up on a lasting understanding? Yeah, Hitler. He was a great orator, too. You know, we've all seen the videos in history classes and stuff like that of him speaking. He could speak. But he did not use his words to encourage, he used his words to destroy, he used his words to cause evil. Now, the, those are kind of big, profound examples, right? Hitler and Reagan and all of these, these are, are big, profound examples. But Satan doesn't limit his activity just to that, right? One of the biggest ways that we see that personally is in our relationships, in individual relationships. That is the biggest witness the church has, is our unity, our relationships, and so you better believe that Satan is going to use our words to destroy that. You think about uh, just how easy it is to ruin a relationship. You know, it takes years to build a relationship, right? To build a relationship where there's trust and confidence in the other person. It takes years and years of building that. And how long does it take to ruin it? Seconds, right? Takes a few words. And this relationship that was just up on a hill and doing great is all of a sudden down in this valley that's gonna take probably years to come back out of. So the next point on your handout is the use of words is one of the most powerful weapons in Satan's arsenal. Don't underestimate just how powerful your words can be. There's a counterpoint to that one, though. In Ephesians 6, Paul lists the spiritual armor. And what was the one offensive item mentioned in there? The sword. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And when he says the word of God, he's using this Greek word rhema, which we get rhetoric from. He's talking about the spoken word of God. The actual real this right here. And so while, while words are one of Satan's most powerful weapons, the counterpoint to that is the use of words is one of the most powerful weapons in a believer's arsenal. So while Satan can use words to destroy to pull down, to tear down. The Spirit is working in us to build up. The Spirit is working in us to lead others into the joy and fulfillment of knowing Jesus as Lord. Verses 7 through 8 say, For every kind of burst, uh, burst, that was good, beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. These verses show the uncontrollable nature of the tongue, right? We can tame a horse to jump rope. We can you know, do all of these crazy things with animals. You watch the, um, we watched, uh, what was that movie recently about the circus? Oh, The Greatest Showman. Yeah, there we go. I'm I'm not a big fan of the circus, so I forgot. But um, it was an alright movie, though. Um, But you watch shows like that, or movies like that, and you see like him riding an elephant. You know, like who in the world would have thought we'd be riding an elephant? You know, we can do all of these amazing things with animals, and yet we are so foolish with our tongues. Right? You know, how many times have you said something and just gone, oh, man, I wish I could take that back. Right? Happens all the time. And so what he's given here is that contrast again. He keeps building on that. You know, we can do all of these amazing things with lions and tigers and elephants and, and all of this, and you can't figure out your tongue. And he says... And you see more contrast. He just keeps building on this. You know, he wants to just get across how ridiculous this looks for somebody who has, who believes in Jesus, if your words aren't lining up with that. He just wants to show you how ridiculous that is. And that's something I love about the book of James. You don't read the book of James and walk away thinking, oh my gosh, I am such a good person. <laughs> like, You don't walk away from it thinking, "Like, God must be so glad I'm on his side. Like, I am amazing. You know, you walk away from it so thankful for his grace. Because you walk away from it knowing just how broken you are without him. And so, um, I'm going to reread these verses, actually. And I want want us to, to read these in the light of knowing how broken we are. In the light of knowing how much we need God's grace. Just think about that as I go over these verses. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so, you can just hear his passion, he wants us to get this. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. It doesn't make sense, right? If you believe in Jesus, if Jesus is Lord of your life, it's going to be fresh water, it's going to be blessings, it's going to bear fruit. In John 15, 5, Jesus says that I am the vine and you are the branch. If we are attached to Jesus, the fruit that's going to come out is the fruit that comes from a love of Jesus. Now, the majority of the verses we looked at today were kind of negative, right? He's kind of kind of trying to almost sort of hammer on people a little bit to get, get a point across. But, But I want to walk away from this and especially in these last verses you know he's given us this contrast here and he's encouraging blessing right he's encouraging fresh water we see hope in this this is what it should be and so as we look at this in the end I, i want us to think about not what our words shouldn't be but what should our words be what should they look like what impact should our words have in the world Jesus said in the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers, for they are to be called sons of God. Do your words bring peace, or do your words bring division? When you post some some political thing on Facebook, is it because you want to have a, a discussion on it, or is it because you want to make the other person look like a fool? How about marriage? When you speak to your spouse, do those words build them up? Do they edify? Do they bring you guys closer together and closer to God? If, if Jesus is Lord of your life, winning an argument with your spouse is, is not the point. If you won an argument with your spouse, great. Now you're married to a loser. So congratulations on that, right? <laughs> I mean, think about that, though. Think about that. But even more importantly, you really lost the long game. You're not building up together. You're not working toward God. So instead of having an argument with your enemy, work with the person God gave you to be your closest ally. Parents, when you speak to your children, do you discipline with a desire to see them grow? Do you discipline with a desire to see them Come closer to God? Or are you just responding out of anger and frustration? Are words coming out of your mouth that you know should not come out? If you need to take a step back and take a few minutes before you have that discussion, do that. If you know that that's a, a, a problem for you. Ephesians 6.4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Think about past times where you've disciplined your child and think about ways you can improve on it. You know, do it with purpose, do it with intent. Your words are going to impact them forever. How many people out here can remember conversations with their parents from early on that have impacted them to this day? I think we're all a little more insecure than we kind of let on, right? I think we all kind of, we try to put on a face that, that these words don't bother us, but then they really do. Or that you know, if somebody encourages us, I think I think we don't understand just how powerful an encouragement to somebody can be. Given at the right time in the right context, it can change a person's entire life. So the next point on your handout is, our words, when rooted in Jesus, will actively build. Our words, when not rooted in Jesus, will actively destroy. Your words are not neutral. When your words go out, be sure that they are intended to build. So you can use your words to destroy, or you can use your words to bring somebody to the knowledge of God who came to save them, to bring somebody to the chain-breaking knowledge of the gospel that frees us. You can use your words to fight poverty and corruption. You can use your words to encourage those around you and build up. They affect how we think. They affect our relationships. They affect our mood. They affect every aspect of our lives. Do not, do not walk out of here thinking that words don't matter. That's, that's what I want to get across. That's what James wants to get across here, is your words matter. Earlier in the book of James, he said, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, <laughs> slow to anger. I think that's just a great summary of this whole thing. You know, listen more, think more, talk less. And when you do, make sure it's with thought and purpose. Don't be easily provoked. Your last point as we close this out says, as peacemakers rooted in Jesus, we are called to communicate with purpose and love the hope of the gospel into a world starved for truth. Don't spew out salty water when this world is thirsting for fresh. Father, we thank you, God, for just this um, kind of slap-in-the-face encouragement today that James had for us. Um, God, we thank you that in your word you can check our hearts. God, we can check our hearts and know where we are at. God, that our words have impact. I pray that... um, I pray that as we walk out of here, Lord, we would understand just how impactful our words can be, even when we don't see it. Even when we don't see how our encouragement brought somebody up from depression that day. God, just how we don't see how that one kind of twisted word we gave maybe brought somebody down. God, um, help us to be wise with our words, to encourage with our words, and to bring fresh water into a world that is just thirsting for it. It is in your name we pray. Amen. We begin our time of response to God and just...